So here's the thing, entrepreneurs, leaders, salespeople, we all want to create consistent, repeatable, and scalable ways to grow our business and our income. And we want to do it better, faster, and more seamlessly. Why? So we can actually enjoy our lives, take vacations, and spend the quality time we want with the people that we love. How do we do all this without spending a fortune or running ourselves ragged? That's the big question, and this show is dedicated to the answer. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited about today's guest, Daniel Blackwell, AKA Multifamily SoCal in the house. Daniel, how you doing, pal? I'm doing great, Tom. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. So, you know, you and I had the, the good fortune of working together for a while, and I have just been a super fan of your work. So for people that don't have context, like give them just a little bit of background. I mean, obviously you're a superstar at CBRE. You are like a legend in the multifamily space, just crushing. Um, but give them a little backstory so they have context because you weren't always this rock star. True, true. So I'm 39 years old and I've been living in California for 14 years. I yeah. first got in my Tahoe. I was living in North Carolina. Never thought I'd venture west, and um, the market crashed in 08. I got in my Tahoe and drove west. Came out of California where I could specialize in multifamily. Big, big market, big opportunity. I wanted to go see if I can play with big boys on the west coast. Drove out here. Two months later, I was living in my car. Yeah. In the parking lot of the brokerage office, working out at the gym, showering at the gym, working at Starbucks. Struggle, struggle, struggle waiting tables, pouring coffee, and just put my head down. And yeah. looking back, it was a great time to enter the business when it was really, really tough. Right. And mentally, I got really tough. And that was 2008, 9, 10. The market started taking off and I had built some relationships, but I didn't know any street. I didn't know any school. I didn't know any anybody. Yeah. And it was just hard work. So that's the backstory. Hey, how did you even get the job? And at what point did they discover, hey, this guy's like living in his car in the parking lot? Did they ever figure it out? They did. They did. Some of the guys in the bullpen told the manager, hey, uh, this guy from North Carolina is living in his car in the parking lot. It's yeah. kind of weird. You know, like yeah. the manager actually pulled me in his office, big Italian guy, big family. And he pulls me and he goes, hey, I, I, I know you're living in your car. Is everything okay? I go, everything's fine. I actually feel good. I got out of some, you know, some responsibilities financially and I'm, I'm fine. I'm going to, you know, he's like, you're going to come live with me. And I really? ended up living with him for three months. He recruited me from North Carolina. Yeah. I, I, I came out, you know, I was begging for a job. The market yeah. was starting to sour. You know, I was on hundred percent commission. He said, fine, I'll give you a shot. And, um, you know, I just stuck with it, but I think he felt a little guilty bringing me out. You know, and then sure. I lived. I lived with him for three months. I'd come home at uh, at his house at ten ten thirty at night, and there'd be food in the microwave. He said, "Hey, put minute on, minute thirty on, eat the food, you know, clean the plate." And then you know, I was out the door at five thirty in the morning. So I was there. They were in bed. I was out before they woke up. You know, uh, that manager, God bless him, had a choice because some people in that same situation just say, "Hey, I'm, I'm cutting bait." So there was clearly something about you that he saw. There's a reason why in the interview process, he said yes. Um, so that was 14 years ago, right? I mean, when you look at what you've accomplished in 14 years, uh, you know, I, I hope you wake up in the morning and pinch yourself, even on a bad day, if a deal's falling apart and remind yourself how blessed you truly are. 
Yes, I am very, very grateful. And, you know, all the goals that I wrote down, you know, 10, 12 years ago, if I could just focus on the business, if I could just give this 100% of my time, if I could ever own units, if I could ever cash flow, if I could ever hit cash flow goals, like I'm there now. And you're right, because you always want to keep striving, but you got to check yourself and, you know, experience the gratitude. So, so let's talk about um, just maybe going back four or five years ago. Right. So, you know, you're, you're now, you know, nine years in, you're established, you're a good broker, you're doing deals, right. You're making money. Um, and I think about, you know, like the time that we met kind of like 2018, 2019, uh, I want to talk about video specifically because, you know, so many people in commercial real estate just crush video. So I know you were feeling behind at the time, right? (laughs) (laughs) I, I know. Right. Like if there was ever a time to do video, I think we, you know, it was very obvious in 2015, 16, 17, I was late in the party. Right. And you clipped in in 18, 19 COVID hits in 20. And I'm like, all right, this video thing, I can't go on any meetings. I can't go and meet, you know, the the frequency of people I was meeting. So how am I going to connect? So there was like no excuse. I had no other excuse in my head to (laughs) not do it. So 20, I just leaned in, I went in on video and, you know, it was some of the most frustrating things I've ever done was video. You know, I'm sure everybody goes through it when you're, when you're getting started and getting rolling. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the audio is not working or this, you know, didn't go out right or this, I was chewing gum one time at a tour. And one of the comments was, dude, you're chewing gum. (laughs) In the middle of a, here's a 40, you know, unit building for 15 million bucks. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, but talk, let's talk about specifically the shows because I think, you know, I've watched, I mean, I continue to watch your content and you know, it's, it's a, I'm just super proud of you and B it's just a great way to like, to listen and learn and find out what's going on in multifamily. So talk about like maybe the moment or the show where you realized, wait a minute, like there's something here. This is real. Do you remember that moment? I do. I do. So in COVID, not a lot of people are paying rent, or at least that was the worry within the marketplace with landlords. They're like, oh my God, what's going on? There's all these eviction moratoriums. Now it's kind of like flip where the tenant is more protected than the landlord. The tenant doesn't have to pay rent, but I still got to pay my mortgage and all these worries. And I've always wanted to help people. And I said, this is great time in video to help people. I'm going to start pulling. I've already got all the data. Let me yep. go ahead and get all the rents within the marketplace, survey larger buildings, smaller buildings in various markets and pull all that information together and shoot a video and talk about rent collections. And right. what I found was I did that in March of 2020 yep. and I did it every single month for just about a year and a half. Yep. And I put the information out and people started reaching out and saying, wow, and the rent collections were like 92%, 95%, 99%. Yep. It was in the high nineties. So I think it cleared a lot of worries from people because they didn't, yes. other owners didn't know what other owners were doing or how they were, you know, performing right. in their buildings. So that was the aha moment. People reached out, more people wanted to share their information on their books and let people know what they're doing. Yep. And I was able to help other people, but it instilled confidence within the marketplace. And a lot of people really appreciated that. They said, Hey, that's great. You know, and then there was more ideas coming from that. Clients right. were like, well, hey, can you do a video on this t- subject or this subject? And there's, like you said, you know, we're joking about it. I mean, nobody on the commercial space is doing it. So, right. 
right. It's kind of like a blank canvas. I could just go for it. So looking back, right. I remember, I forget the association, but somebody said, you know, Hey, we, do you mind if we post your video like on our website? And it was one of those like nationwide multifamily, you know, associations. Like what, what was that like for you? Oh, that was, that was amazing. It was just confirming what, you know, I wanted it, what I was already doing. Yes. And you know, other people sharing it on their platforms, that's what it's all about. Right. So it was great. And that helped a lot of people follow and subscribe, join the newsletter and then they're getting direct content. So, so a lot of people will say, okay, that was a great moment in time. And, you know, he brought a lot of value to the marketplace, but did he do more deals because of it? Did he actually get any listings or transactions direct from it? So yeah, I know you track and measure everything. Give us, give us a little insight on at, at what point did it finally click where it went from, I'm putting out this content, trying to be an educator to I'm now getting meetings and appointments and listings and buyers and deals. Oh, well, the first call, I remember the first call, because, you know, you, you usually, you know, somebody and you've already built a relationship with them. Then they watch your videos and then you kind of do a deal with them. You can't really associate. Well, the video kind of was the deciding factor, but there yeah. was one where we have over 10,000 emails within our database. And a lot yeah. of those have been added to our agent team. So we posted the rent collection videos. We started doing, Hey, just listed, just souls and pushing out those videos. And I get a call out of the blue and it's from somebody that was not in my sphere and said, my name is John. You don't know who I am, but I own in Laguna beach. I have a couple of small fourplexes and I want to buy another property and I want you to represent me. I said, okay, well, great. And he says, I've already found the property and it's this little $2 million property in Costa Mesa and I've already got it. I want you to call the agent and represent me. And I just, that was a direct, like, okay, that has, that's not in my sphere. I right. can totally assign that to video. That right. was hundred percent video. And we put that, we put that deal together and actually had him do a testimonial on video. He's like, sure. You know? Yeah. So I, that was the start of it. That was the first time I was like, wow, there's actually direct revenue. And then since then, you know, we're posting uh, renovation videos. We're posting right. 1031 videos, yep. investor videos, like how they got started their story. And now it's more, you know, inbound. Yeah. 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 So what would be your advice if you were, if you were talking to a bunch of, you know, uh, mortgage lenders listening to this, you know, residential agents, team leaders who are just, oh, the time and video and how do I get the right content? Like, do you, do you think there's something special about your content that Resi could use or even the lenders could use? A hundred percent, a hundred percent, you know, with lenders, like, it's funny you say that because I haven't seen in my world, a lender posting this information, mm-hmm. going out and sharing where the best deals or what rates they've got done or walking through a property or just showing some tips, right. You know, Hey, before you fill out an application, you need to have these few things done. So right. that would be huge. That would, yeah. you know, that would be huge. As far as Resi, I mean, coming up with ideas, you know, we empowered our team. I started doing it, but the team, I started empowering the team. Hey, throw out some ideas. What do you think? You know, other yeah. people started following other people and that would inspire an idea. We'd talk about it. You know, there's still a long list of video ideas we didn't execute on. Yeah. But I think empowering the team, you know, the videos, the videos are great, but what I also didn't want to do is go completely to the other side of it where I'm not doing enough deals. It's, it's right. hurting 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. You got to so balance would, it. You got to balance it. So I would say like one to two videos a week, yeah. you know, start at one and just get on that cadence, get on that frequency. Right. Yeah. And then you have social accountability yep. to like continue and yeah. keep it going. So yeah. one, one's a lot, that's fine. Like you don't need to do 37 pieces of content a day or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, you just yeah. do one video a week and that's just get there. Talk about distribution. Like, how are you getting all of your content out? What platforms do you put it on? What do you not put it on? Like, give us some context around that. So LinkedIn's big yeah. for the commercial world. Yep. So we go heavy on LinkedIn, heavy on Instagram, and then heavy on uh, YouTube. Yeah. So those are the three. I haven't really explored any. I mean, we, that feeds to Facebook. Yeah. But it's mainly YouTube. And then we're pushing out to our investor list. That's over 10,000 emails. So we're like, directly marketing to them right through those channels so so i'm on your email list and i'm trying to think of you know like typically you know it's the cbre logo green you know and it's usually like a photo of you with a you know the the like play here button right ready to rock um but i don't recall now as i'm sitting here i think they go direct to youtube i think you're usually directing me to youtube so that's that's the focus that's the focus okay and, and what about your, like, like, do you track and measure against your email list? I mean, cause you're, are you sending a weekly email to 10,000 people with the video, but then there's, you're doing listings and you're doing, you know, case studies around, you know, here, here's a deal that had a ton of hair on it. This is how we solved it. Like you do a lot of that kind of stuff, which I think is always interesting because people love that stuff. It also shows you're creative and you get shit done. Um, but kind of knowing what you know now, is there anything you would have done differently with how you got the word out? think so. I, I think it's just, you know, finding the right people to help you execute it is, is the most important. There's a lot of trial yeah. by error. Right. Um, but I think it's, it's just one of those things. Video is like, I should have done this three years ago. Yeah. Or yeah. Five years ago. Yeah. It's one of those things. Yeah. Anything different now, I think just getting started going for it, it, it you know, there's, um, there's just so many people out there that uh, just want really good information and right. we're in the business daily and you know we just assume that you know this is like maybe not that important or whatever or everybody yeah. would know it or whatever it yeah. is but there's we're the conduit to the market there's so many people that don't talk to other owners you know right. even if we put on an event and we get 30 or 40 people together they're just so excited to get to know one another and right connect and share information and share ideas so the demand is like so high to just do this. So I think it's, I wish I would've got started sooner. So I'm going to make this statement and you know, I make it with the utmost respect. I work with a lot of creatives, a lot of like, you know, video, creative cinematography, like they're just that they're out of, and they're just, their, their personality sometimes are just larger than life. You are this North Carolina buttoned up, like, you know, hair's high and tight, like very focused, very commercial real estate broker. <laughs> and you're slaying it on video. Now I know you have a personality, but like when you start talking, you're like, we're at 93% rent collection. It's very much like today in the news, Walter Cronkite, you know, bam, 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 bam. Do you, do you think that that is, I mean, obviously it works. It resonates with your clients. Do you think there's a different approach that could be had? Or do you think because it's commercial real estate, people are like, I don't want him to be like crazy. I want him to just, you know, drive in his car and show me the deal. You know, I think as video, look, some people are natural with it. Some people are not. I yeah. think it's just 
you know, from the first video, you look back, you're like, oh my God, I was chewing gum or like, I was terrible. I wouldn't say I'm like, no mic, no microphone, you know, like bad lighting. Yes, exactly. So like I've gotten better on some of those things, but I think that the personality and like just being fully authentic is not fulfilled yet. Just candidly, because you're still kind of thinking about how you're coming off. And yeah, I think people just want you to be you, but sometimes it's a little hard in front of the camera. Yeah, but I think that's slowly coming out. I mean, I'm not going to be doing like cartwheels in front of a building or anything no. wild, but uh, yeah, yeah. I think just being yourself. So when you go in yeah. front of somebody, it's just they feel like they already know you. It's not like you're someone different, you know. Bingo. Yeah, I mean that's that is the answer, man. So so one of the things I think you shine at is these interviews you're doing. Whether it is, uh, I clicked on one the other day. Like the guy started a new fund that he was out gobbling up properties. Um, like what was the inspiration behind the interviews and how are they, how are they performing in your opinion? They're performing better than pretty much any other video. And, you know, when I first got in the business back to like 14 years ago, you come out here, you start pulling out all these comps, all these sales. You're like, Whoa, this guy, this woman started with a four unit building and now she exchanged all the way up to a thousand units. I want to know the story. Right. right. Or right. this person owns 20,000 units. They came from nothing. Like what's mm-hmm. the story? So mm-hmm. I was always blown away because eventually I wanted to be an investor on the other side of the telephone, right. and be somebody like that and have a great journey and story. So I think it's, if I could somehow pull just a few of those people into a room and just say, Hey, share your story. Yeah. How did you go from here to there? What was it like? How do you know when to sell and to buy and grow a portfolio? And right. So I think it's just for my own want and need and, yeah. uh, you know, to learn, but then other people are going to want the same thing too. So um, it's just, and there's been a lot of people with some explosive growth in a very short period of time. So right. Right. it just stemmed from there. Some people are cool with getting on camera and doing it. Some aren't. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. But I can tell you, you're, you know, you have a, a natural sort of grace and style that, I, you know, just, you know, as an observer and someone that watches a lot of content and creates a lot of content, I, I feel like it's very easy uh, for them to answer the questions, right? That, you know, you're, you're kind of right there patiently with them saying, tell me more about that. Like, how else do you do that? So, so kudos to you, man. So let's, let's go a different direction. Dan, there's a good chance that someone is listening right now who last year sold 75 homes, a hundred homes, 500 homes. And yet I say to them, you know, the fastest way to become an investor is to refinance your house and go buy something new. And congratulations, you now own one unit. Or I tell them because of just the financing ability to buy a duplex, a triplex or a fourplex in your marketplace. And, and these are smart, highly productive residential real estate agents running teams or not killing it on deals. But then I say, now go buy one. And they look at me with like X's on their eyes. So, I'd love for you to just unpack for us. Um, I actually wrote down literally from sourcing deals, uh, selection criteria, what you look for when you're walking it, due diligence, negotiation tips, rehabbing, raising rents. Like if, if we literally went through, and there's probably six more inside that you're thinking of. If we went through one at a time and just said, let's just give people like what they should be doing to go find their next deal. Cause I'm arguing with inflation being very real right now, only since 1970, the greatest hedge against inflation is real estate. So, so let's unpack it. Like, what would you tell somebody? Like, how would you tell them to go about finding deals, sourcing deals, 
off market, on market, et cetera. So I kind of broke down some of the things that I've found to help me get deals. You know, believe it or not, from the smaller bite sized deals, the MLS, just getting the alert when you get it sent to your phone, the MLS we have here, it's probably like everywhere else, it's yeah. real time. Yep. So I purchased three or four fourplexes just off the MLS. Yep. And where it's just right property, right place, right time. I already know the market and go in and I work with that agent. I let them represent me. Smart. I don't act as an agent. You don't want to get a two and a half or 3% fee and then put yourself at a disadvantage. You want to be just a buyer, easy buyer to the agent. So the MLS, it's just been a constant, you know, deal source. So that was, that was number one. I didn't expect it would be to them, the MLS, but get on the alerts. So number two is buying with investors and partners. So as I bought my first building and my second building and third building, as I'm brokering, some of the buyers have said, Hey, Dan, can you co-invest in this deal? Would you be open to co-investing in this deal? So there might be co-investment opportunities as you grow. There might be an investor that might need a little bit of handholding and want you to stay in the deal. Maybe you guys get along really well and that can grow and turn into something great. So, And just curious, are you kicking in your fees as a part of the deal or bringing in cash or combination of? That's a great question. I bring in new money. I bring in cash. All the fees run through CB. I can pay pay taxes and then go buy. So it just depends on if you're at another shop and you can do that. If you're an independent, you can roll your fees. That's even better. Yeah. So um, another thing is agent referrals. You know, I I think it's, yeah, it's obvious, you know, you want to get agent referrals, but after you start buying a few properties, especially if you're buying in a certain area, you know, if you buy, let's use it within Southern California, you know, if you buy a property in LA, you buy a property in Orange County and then Inland Empire, you're not really identifiable in the marketplace. But if you're buying like three or four properties in the same city in Costa Mesa, other agents are going to realize, well, Tom Ferry is probably a likely buyer for this new building that I have. I'll just give him a call. So I think that's been big for me. Um, Not everybody's going to call an active apartment broker and tell them about a new listing they have, but, 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 but some agents will, I mean, Mm -hmm. they have through multifamily SoCal, they've reached out and said, Hey, I got something. So pay attention to the referrals. I think the focus being focused, you know, being on the front lines every day within the market, uh, you're going to see things happen sometimes before the open market knows about it. You're yeah. not going to get access to every deal, but I think specializing and staying focused, there's just, that could result into one deal a year just yeah. by, just by focusing a lot of commercial agents, they just, they don't specialize and it can kind of, you're going to miss the good opportunity right beneath your nose. So, so. so when you say specialize, do you mean like, you know, geography, zip code, territory, just for, you know, for context for people. Yes. Location and deal yeah. size. You yeah. know, when I first started, yeah. it was Anaheim. It was like five units to mm-hmm. 50 units. Yeah. I didn't look at anything below or above. And I just went deep. I literally walked every building, took photos. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that I knew the age, the building, the owners. So when something popped up, I kind of had some of the backstory on the deal. hundred percent. And then, I mean, this goes without saying, but it's just a reminder, you know, we're all the people that are watching that are agents, you know, we all want to work with a good buyer. We all want to make sure they do what they say they're going to do. And I think if we're going to be a buyer, we need to be doing the same exact thing. We need to be an easy buyer. We need to be acting with integrity and doing what we say we're going to do. It's just that simple. Sometimes agents, you can just over negotiate a deal and it's just not the time to do that. 
Hey, it's Tom Ferry. Question, what's your favorite social media platform? Are you big on Insta? Do you love to tweet? No matter where you answer, I'd love for you to connect with me there. All you gotta do is just type in at Tom Ferry and follow and let's you and I connect. I wanna be able to deliver the right content, the right ideas, the ways to help you grow your business, stay fired up, keep moving, be in action and run plays that work in the platform that matters most to you. So subscribe and I'll see you there soon. I think that's a, I think that's a great insight. Like you don't have to be the lead on these deals, but then someone's going to say, well, damn, but how do I find those people? Yeah. So I found them just because I was selling apartment real estate in Southern California. So I yeah. was selling to some of these syndicators and some of these group partnership deals. Right. And I didn't go, I didn't have a lot of cash. I think my first deal, I put $20,000 into a right. million dollar apartment building. Yeah. And I still invested in that deal. They've refinanced the property twice. I've gotten 75, 80% of my initial money back on the refinances, plus a small $200 yeah. check every quarter or something like that. But right. it was been a great deal, but that was my first deal. I didn't have to save up hundreds of thousands of dollars to go yeah. put down. So little block. Hey, Dan, hey, Dan, I got to tell you, I'm so grateful you said that story and not like, oh, I put like 300 into this. No, you put 20 grand in. And you get 200 bucks a quarter and you got 75% of your money back already from the refi. Like, like that's a perfect example. So is there like, you know, like uh, if I was going to invest in startups, there's a lot of different syndication sites you can go to. Um, there's a lot of syndication deals. And I know there's a ton also in multifamily and in other commercial sectors, but is there a site or two you recommend or a place that you would say, Hey, you want to go here or like you want to ask this attorney or that attorney in your marketplace, you know, who's doing these deals? You know, there are the big, there are the big groups, the REITs one, and yeah. the REITs and everything. And I kind of went with the smaller, I wouldn't say mom and pop, but like the, the more local market syndicator yeah. that yep. are, it's more kind of like friends and family co-investments. Yeah. Yep. But there's a group and I've got it on my to-do list. There's a group um, called the Tides. Mm-hmm. And this, I have not invested with them. I don't know these guys, but yeah. they are buying a lot of real estate. They have bought in Texas a lot. They bought in Phoenix a lot. They've done a lot yeah. of deals, but I just had it as a, Hey, look, go and invest on one of their next deals. Right. Just go put 50, yeah. whatever their minimum is. Yeah. The tides equities. Yeah. Um, every building they buy is called the tides at, at such and such. So there, there's big, there's big groups like that, but I, yeah. I had a little bit more inside baseball, if you will, to where yeah. I knew who had a great reputation, who was buying good real estate and had other people were saying good things about them. So I put my money with those folks, Yeah, you know? Um, but if you don't have that, um, you know, that's, I would start with the tides or there's a few others out there, but that's the yeah. only one that I can think of right now. And maybe just go to your local, you know, commercial real estate broker and say, Hey, who, who handles multifamily in our marketplace? Right. There's all, there's always this, at the bigger shops. There's always going to be somebody at, you know, JLL or you guys, right. They're going to say, Oh yeah, go talk to, you know, Martha over there. Like she crushes it and she may know, but let's say, let's say that they're just, they're in market and they're driving through, like I think of like, um, you know, Costa Mesa or Anaheim or, you know, other spots where it's pretty dense and there's a bunch of these, you know, multifamily deals. You know, let's just say that they identify something. What's, what's your process to go through and really make sure that this deal is right? The first thing what I would do is, I mean, deciding on deals, you know, I always have kept my pencil sharp and I would always run numbers 
And it's just being focused within those cities. The market yeah. that you're talking about is Orange County. You know, I've, I've, I've sized up over a thousand multifamily properties in, in the county. So I kind of know when something's priced right yep. and might be, you know, a great opportunity. So I would say the biggest thing is there's two things. One, it's like the fixer upper that's like totally mismanaged in a good location. Yeah. You know, yep. those are the things if I'm driving the market, I'm kind of getting a feel for things. That's like the perfect value add apartment property that you could acquire. It might not cash flow very well right away, yeah. but you could build a lot of appreciation in forced equity by getting good management on the property, having some of those units turns and taking those rents to market. And if you're buying in a good area, you can't, you can fix the property, but you can't fix the area. So yeah. I think that's, a, that's like a great entry point for somebody. If it yep. kind of hits the, those criteria, I found a couple of those properties literally down the street, couple blocks from where I live to where there was, yeah. again, there was no excuse. Yeah. I felt really good about it. You know, it's very hard properties to replicate on the market. So it wasn't, it's hard to kind of like say what numbers, um, but those properties, you know, on, on, on paper, they didn't even really make a whole lot of sense. You know, I mean, sometimes when you're buying these small little plexes, yep. um, it just, it's, it's hard for them to really pencil you know, and, and that's what you got away. I could go put my money in an LP deal and make maybe five, seven, 8% cash on cash. Yeah. Or I can go put it into something on my own deal and maybe I don't make any money and I'm just putting money back into it. But then now there's this huge upside in appreciation. Right. right. So, but I think, I, don't you think that's part of the selection process? Like it's, it's, you know, taxes, cash flow, or appreciation. And when you can get the holy trifecta, Right. Especially, especially if you can go in, like we just bought a nineplex um, near our place in Dallas and it was the same thing. I like, I, I walked up, I looked at my wife and I'm like, I'll take it. She's like, well, let's, let's walk the units first. And I'm like the brand new, like luxury five-star hotel is going to be four blocks away. These units are basically shitty, but this is a really nice neighborhood. I'm like, this is a no brainer. Right. And like, we can raise every one of the rents and we're, you know, doing little cleanups. I mean, your process, right? Just going through and cleaning up sort of one unit at a time, raising the rents, right? Not, not egregious raises, right? Cause you want to take care of the right. tenants, especially the ones that have been there for a long time. But like, I knew like it, it was all three for us, even Texas, cause Texas with taxes is a little wonky, right? On real estate, but it's still yeah. worked out. Oh, that's but, awesome. But what would you like? So, so break it down for us. Like what's your process Are you know, is it just appreciation? Cause you're in Southern California and you know, it's there. Yes, I think it is a lot of appreciation because I don't have a sizable amount of cash to go buy a stabilized building. If you did, you can go buy a stabilized building. That's still a good deal. You could buy it from one of these syndicators, yeah. right? Where you're going in cash flow might be five, 6% cash on cash return in Southern California. You don't have to put a lot of CapEx into the building. Yeah. But for me, I need to kind of grow my equity a little bit more. So I go, I flock towards the appreciation properties. Yep. And then I want a 1031 exchange into a stabilized deal once I build up enough equity and then the cash flow starts coming in then. But right. it, you, you could absolutely buy, you know, if you wanted to buy like a fixed up property, if you can get in, I would say the best location, it's almost like, you know, you buy, you buy the so-so deal in the best location you possibly can. It's yeah. really hard to build workforce housing, especially in Southern California. You, right. We can still do these deals below replacement costs. So if you buy a great property in a good location and you can get it at a fair price, 
that's very, very, very compelling because that's very hard to do. It's kind of like the Warren Buffett model. He's looking for these great companies right. at a fair price. It's yeah. the same thing as an apartment house. You know, you want to make sure you're getting the best location because you can't fix that. You can always do these little light value adds. So I, I look at the four main things. I look at price per unit. I look at price per square foot. Yeah. I look at the GRM, the times gross, the gross rent multiplier. And I look at the cap rate. Yeah. You know, if I was going into another market, maybe I didn't have as much intimate knowledge on. Let's just say if it was like North, uh, Northern California. I would probably look at where I could get like a 200 basis point spread on my cap rate. So if I'm buying at a four yeah. and I can take it to a six, yeah, I think that's pretty good. I would probably look at a few different deals to see what the market's kind of doing. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of syndicators look at that. You know, they want 150 to 200 basis point spread yeah. on the current cap rate to market cap rate. Yeah. Yeah. So my brain's going like a hundred different directions, <laughs> but it's just super. I mean, it's so much fun just to talk to you about this stuff. So, uh, talk about 1031 exchange. Well, actually I want to go back to rehab first and then I want to go 1031 exchanges. So like following sort of the chain. So when you're rehabbing a place, like, do you have like a set amount? Hey, I paid, I'm making up these numbers. I paid 175 a door and I will yeah. put no more than X into it. Like what's your, like, what's your formula you know, cause I see these people that like, they start rehabbing and it's like, it's their freaking house. And I'm like, no, like, like that's at least my model, you know? That's, yeah, no, that's really good questions. And I, you know, I've, I've turned probably 10 units on my own yeah. where I'm hiring, hiring out, you know, subbing yeah. out everything. I'm not physically doing it, but I'm, yeah. I'm running it as the GC. Yep. Uh, now I have a project manager helping me, which has been helpful. So I can focus on brokerage. Right. But, you know, the biggest things is getting a standardized turn and we're still pretty getting it pretty tight, but we're still finalizing our standardized turn. What does that mean? What does that mean to you? Like, give it, give us the non-commercial lingo, like standardized turn. Oh, we got, th this is the cabinets. This is the paint. This is yeah. the trim. This is the door. Yeah. This is the yeah. door knobs. This is the shower enclosure. This is the vanity. This is the mirror, you know, like literally going through it. Yep. And getting that standardized turn and Love trying it. to provide the best product we can, but it's got to make mathematical sense. So right. there's a workforce housing standardized turn that we're coming up with. Yep. So we're, we're in a market that we got to be sensitive to what we can take the rents to. Yep. Um, we can only spend so much. So that one's around 20,000 bucks yeah. is a standardized turn for workforce housing. We're, we're doing pretty good there. That's, that's been the easier one to kind of, uh, replicate. Yeah. The harder one is when you're in this like kind of coastal market where right. you could literally spend twice that and you can get the rents way higher. So you get a right. better return on cost. Right. And we've had cost overruns like crazy on those, sure. you know, but, but you know, we bought, I, I say we, it's a team thing, but I, I bought these deals, right? So if I'm going cost overrun, I know it's not smart, but I'm okay with it yeah. just because I, you make your money on the buy. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but we're, we're standardizing those turns. The biggest thing that I talked about was like the return on cost. So back to these syndicator groups, they're looking at, you know, when they're raised money for LP investors and they put their money to work, they're the ones that have the model. We're just learning from them on what to do. So they look at it as a return on cost. If they can get their, let's just say they can raise rents by take the rent from $2,000 a month, to $3,000 a month once they renovate it. That's a yeah. thousand bucks. I mean, that's a right. little more 
yeah. excessive, but I'm using that for an example. Yeah. So if it cost them $25,000 for that turn, that'd be a 25% return on cost. Yep. So that, and that's just on a monthly level. That's not even yeah. on an annualized level. So yep. um, that would be a no brainer. They could put a tenant in there if that tenant stayed for a pretty short period of time you know, they're already going to get their money back. So what is their return on their cost? Yeah. So that's what they look at when they go to these certain markets. So yeah. um, I'm paying more than that, but I would say if you can get your money back within four to five years, yeah, that's probably a really good kind of situation, a good rule of thumb. Yeah. If you can get your money back in a year or two, that's like a no brainer. Right. So speaking of, because that leads nicely into, you know, 1031 exchanges, right? So um, there seems to be like, I'm, I'm one of my uh, partners, we're working on this project together and, and the thought is sell nothing ever, right? And then I have other friends and deals that are like, hey man, we're buying in, you know, X city in, you know, Texas and everything is going that direction. We're buying a nice unit in a crappy location that's just in the path of progress, right? Like it's just, it's just going to get better whether it's five years or 10 years. And as soon as we see it go from here to there, we turn 31 and we go out to the next one. Yeah. Like what, like what's your, like what's your take? Like what's your rule of thumb around, you know, do you want to hold everything? doesn't sound like it sounds like you want to keep moving into bigger and, you know, more you know, larger deals. What's, what's your thoughts? I think naturally, like in my gut, I'm a whole guy, you yeah. know, I'm like, I buy a car, got a nice car. I don't want to sell. I want, I'm not a every year kind of, you know, yeah. so it's the same thing with the apartments or the house that I'm living in. Yeah. You know, hold it. Don't ever sell. A lot of these people that come in and out of deals, you know, they do that in their business. They look back 10 years. They're like, I shouldn't have sold anything. Uh, right. 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 We're always going to hear that. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. anybody we talk to, Hey, what would you have done different if they were in their career for 30, 40 years in real estate? What would you have done differently? Every yeah. one of them would have said, I would have bought more real estate and I should have never sold. But right. the reality is just going back to my little situation, I have to use the 1031 exchange, right? That is the like best thing that I could do to grow my wealth. That's how we've helped investors grow their wealth. I, I, I am only going to make so much in brokerage. That's right. only going to buy so much real estate. Right. How does that look like if I never sold? What does it look like? Let's model that out for 10 years. What does it look like? But if I 1031 exchange and grow and build it up to where maybe you start getting some assets when you get up to scale, if you start getting within Southern California, you know, 30, 50 unit apartment buildings, you probably don't really want to sell those because yeah. it's so hard to replicate that again. You know, if you got mm -hmm. some four units and six units, those are okay. Some it's okay to maybe sell a couple of those to get to those bigger buildings. Yeah. And when you get to that level, then you just cash out refi every seven. So right. years plus or minus and buy more. That's Is there a reason why monopoly stops at hotels? <laughs> I think we just answered it, right? You just, you know, you stop at the bigger projects. Um, so go in a totally different direction. First of all, this actually felt like more of like a nerd wallet interview, which I love. Like, do you ever look at, uh, do you know, nerd wallet, the site? Uh-uh. Oh man, you should check it out. They should, yeah, they should interview. They do, they do so much on uh, real estate investing and I, just a shout out to those guys. Uh, you know, if you're listening to this and you've never gone to the nerd wallet site, uh, I am a paid subscriber. I listen to a bunch of the podcasts. They, you know, they'll, Hey, we're interviewing today. Uh, this 18 year old who now owns 73 units and he did it all off market deals with seller financing. You're like, what? And they're just, they're just, it's just one story after another of like, 
you can do this. You know what I mean? And then, and then a lot of tactical stuff like you're talking about here. So I would definitely check it out. What do you think is the state of multifamily? Like, where do you, where do you think it goes from here? Like, you know, the next 10 years, what's it going to look like? We got to buy as much multifamily real estate as we can. I mean, the, the fundamentals just from, you know, when I first got in the business, I was reading books about, you know, getting started in multifamily real estate. And, yeah. and one of the things that I can remember was the, these apartment buildings have been around most of the apartments in Southern California built in the fifties and sixties. So the people that were in the book, this is what it related to the people that were living in those apartments back in the fifties and sixties and seventies worked for companies. They had jobs. Yep. Some of those jobs and companies are no longer around anymore. Maybe they sold or they closed up, yep. but guess what's still there? The apartment building that they're living in, it's still functional. We can still rent it out today. Yep. especially where there's a housing crisis like here in Southern California or practically throughout the United States now. Uh, yeah. Everywhere. Yep. So, I mean, people need a place to live until Elon or somebody else comes up and changes how we live. Yeah. I, I just, I, I think it's a very safe and, and smart long-term play. We'll probably have some, some ripples in the water here and there, but I, I, I think it's a great market. You know, it's not a, it's not a get rich quick, it's a get rich for sure. Most right. likely. I mean, look at all the people from various parts of life that are wealthy through real estate right. and right. multifamily. So I, I couldn't be more bullish about it. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. What about, um, financing? What, what tips, hacks, you know, recommendations would you make if somebody was like going out to finance their for like, let's say outside of a fourplex where the financing is a little less traditional, but let's right. do, you know, fourplex and outside of that. So, yeah. So outside of that, you know, you, the best money is five, seven and 10 year money. And it just yep. depends on where you are. Um, but you know, your 10 year money, the prepayment penalties can be a little hefty. Yeah. So that's about as long as, as people want to lock in 10 year money, the banks want to yep. lock in 10 year money, but they can kind of get you with yield maintenance. So I would stay stay away with anything that has yield maintenance in it. If you're a newer investor, I've seen a lot of people in the last downturn, they wanted to sell and these prepayment algorithms came back and they were like serious, serious levels, like six figure, sometimes seven figure prepayment penalties. So I would stay away from yield maintenance if you do that, uh, at least for starters. But I like seven year money because yeah. five comes a little too quick and yep. you get an extra couple of years for seven and the interest rate isn't that much higher. You know, yeah. maybe they charge you 10 or 15 basis points higher. So I like the seven. That's kind of the sweet spot. That's, I think, the most popular product we see out there. Yeah. Um, your, your LTVs, it just depends on your debt coverage ratios on where you are in, in the United States. Yeah. You know, here you're having to put 40, 50% down. Right. 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 So, you know, I, that's tough because your money just doesn't buy you a whole lot. You know, yeah. you, you've got to put so much down to get something in Southern California. But it's also, if there are some ripples in the water, you're, you've got a lot of equity, you know, yeah. you're not going to get yeah. squeezed. So the 75%, I don't like putting any, you know, that's the max leverage you can get yeah. sometimes 80. Yeah. I, I just, I like at least having 25% equity in a deal going yeah. in. I, I don't yeah. want to be the most creative finance guy in the world because that's how you can get in trouble. That's really how you can get in trouble in multifamily yeah. real estate. I agree. Finance. Yep. I had a friend up in Canada who, uh, who over leveraged. And by the time he called me and asking for help, it was, can you please like loan me every dollar you've ever had? And then some, cause the bank's calling and saying, uh, Hey, this like, I mean, he was literally at like, you know, 15% down at like 3000 yeah. units. 
and the yeah. bank just called one like one bank just called and said this doesn't work for us anymore i mean it was tra- it was tragic cuz he's a superhuman being and he was hey he was getting deals that they were offering you know yeah. they were saying go buy more man keep up the good work and then one day they called and said no mas right this yeah. was and you could you could imagine when 789 right like it was it was a tough road it was a tough road so i like your thinking i actually would tell people 30% down and yeah. and everything and everything cash flows. The more money you put down, everything cash flows. But like again, do you want do you want the cash? Do you not want the cash? That goes back to probably a good question for your CPA. So, yeah. so we covered multifamily. We talked a little financing. We talked about sort of you know video, which again I'm just beyond proud. I think everybody needs to follow them. Uh, you know, multifamily SoCal certainly on Instagram. Same thing on YouTube, right? Yeah. Right. I think you'll you you know some of you out there will see uh, again like. He has a nice body of work now, right? Over the last couple of years. It's a nice body of a couple hundred videos, I'm guessing. Yeah, getting to 200. Right. So, I finally man, got there, Tom. You did it. You did it, man. I'm so proud. I'm so proud. Like I could look, I, I remember like driving up Dover and seeing you and your family like walking in a store and I'm like, that's my guy. That's like, he's, a, he's Mr. Video now. I love it. Um, Thank you for unpacking, you know, the way you view, you know, deals. And I like the idea about getting into syndications as maybe like a small taste, a small amount that makes a ton of sense. Kind of just closing thoughts. I mean, you know, you, you've been around our community, right? You've been to a bunch of events. By the way, we're back to doing live events and it's bonkers. You need to like, you need, you need to come hang out. It's super fun. Yeah, the next one. Yeah. So closing thoughts, what would you want to share with everybody out there listening? You know, I would just say like, we all have just so much opportunity within, you know, where we are. It doesn't matter where, you know, just being in the United States, having the opportunity to be through working with Tom. I mean, Tom, look, I'm just super grateful when the COVID hit and we were coached together and right. we just leaned in and we crushed it. And everything me and you talk about, you share with your entire audience, all the, there's just, you share everything. And I think yeah. there's just so much opportunity. I would just say if all of us as agents, I could do a better job is just taking advantage of what you already put out. If we could just do a little bit more. Yeah. I, yeah. That's all I would say. I appreciate that, man. It's execution. Always, always prioritization and execution. All right. Well, DB, I appreciate you. You know, the, Oh, the only question I didn't get asked, I'm going to ask it. How does CBRE feel about all these videos you're pumping out? I think they like it. You know, they like it. As long as I, uh, you know, when in doubt on any deal, you disclose everything. You make sure we're above board, transparent, treating people with respect. Yeah. So, you know, they love the videos and uh, it's been great. So that's awesome. More to come. We're going to turn up more frequency. I can't wait, man. I can't wait to watch. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And for all my friends out there, make sure you follow him. Check out his YouTube channel for sure. Maybe LinkedIn. Absolutely. Instagram. Uh, Daniel, appreciate it, man. You're the best. I'll see you soon. Thanks for having me on. Take care, Tom. Thanks, Thanks, bud. bud. See ya. If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit TomFerry.com slash podcast. That's TomFerry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.